Let's pray. Lord, just open up our hearts and our minds now to hearing what you'd have us hear. We know that your word, that word that has been from eternity, that word that um, spoke, was spoken so that creation might happen, that word that put on flesh um, and was born of the Virgin Mary, and then that enfleshed word that was crucified and died. That same word as we hear that tonight. Lord, may it do a work in us that would change us, that would shape us, that would um, give us life even as we meditate on your death. In Jesus' name, amen. Really, uh, tonight I want to focus on three things. Uh, he was forsaken. You are forgiven. And we can now experience the love and joy of the Father. So that's kind of my three-point message. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the kind of central piece that I, out of all that reading, which you guys did such a great job, nice work, and uh, my candle extinguishers, booyah, nice work. Um, but out of all of it tonight, um, that's what I want to hone in on. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now this isn't the first time that these words have been spoken. Uh, in fact, if you go to Psalm 22, you'll find David saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so these words have been spoken by um, those who've come from David, who's the, the author of the, uh, Psalm 22, all the way to Jesus, some you know 900 whatever years. They've been saying this. They've been saying this in worship services. Um, they've been saying this when they're feeling this. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People have been saying this that have been uh, lose, have lost loved ones. God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, those who've been persecuted, those who've gone through trials and hardships, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus saying it feels a little different. As we think about those who maybe have said those words or prayed that prayer, I've prayed that prayer myself as I've walked through the Psalms or maybe experienced trials in my own life. God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, at its fullest extent, none of those prayers have ever been fully, have fully felt the full weight of being forsaken by God, right? And it maybe it's felt like that. There might be uh, struggles or hardships or whatever it might be, but 
we've never actually experienced true forsakenness by God, God for us, God forsaken feeling. We've never experienced that. And yet here Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I want to I just lean into this a little bit because I want us to understand that Jesus is not just another guy. Other people have died on the cross. In fact, there's two other guys right there with him dying on a cross. So it's not, it's not dying on a cross in and of itself, right, that is, that is making this some kind of cosmic thing. It's ultimately who's dying. And so we got to think about this. we got to process this a little bit. See, Jesus is not just another guy. Jesus is, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. One God, Father, Son, Spirit, but one God, right? And so there's, there's only one God. And yet there is the Father, and there is the Son, and there is the Spirit. The Father doesn't put on flesh. The Spirit doesn't put on flesh. It's the Son that puts on flesh. The Word. Uh, John says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14... We find out that the Word puts on flesh. That Word, that second person of the Trinity. Now why am I saying this? I'm saying this because there's a couple things that we want to hold into tension tonight. One is that Jesus is the Son of God. That's true. But it's also important to understand that Jesus is God. Those are actually both true statements. And you might be saying, kind of, why are you making such a big deal about this? One of the things I just want to make sure we understand is that Jesus is not just another guy. He's not a nice prophet. He's not some, some guy chosen who's been born that God said, you know, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to use you, oh great prophet or something, to save even the world or something. No, Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. And so we can actually say as Jesus is dying on the cross, we can actually say God dies. Now, the Father doesn't die, the Spirit doesn't die, but the Son dies. Jesus, who is divine, who is God, dies. So we can say, and this is a biblical thought, this is, this is what it's all about, God actually dies. And at the exact same time that we can say that, we can look at Jesus who's hanging on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You understand what I'm just trying to keep kind of in tension a little bit? I don't know if you get excited about stuff like this. I do. And if your mind doesn't quite grasp the whole encompassingness of that, that's okay. Don't stress about it. 
We just believe it to be true because that's what Christians have to do. We have to deal with facts. <laughs> and this is the way that God has revealed it to be. So God forsakes his son Jesus. And Jesus is God. God dies. Revelation chapter 1. You can go look at this. I've preached on that text before. Revelation chapter 1, we get a picture of Jesus showing up to John the Apostle. Jesus, in all of this brilliance, he says something to the effect of, I am the beginning and the end. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha, the Omega. He's saying he's God. He's always been. And then he says, I died. But I'm alive now. I love that text. I've always said, at least still to this day, that's going to be my funeral text for me. God dies. God also forsakes Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus experiences God forsaking him in a way that no one has ever experienced before. He experiences the full weight of those words and everything that it means. Isaiah chapter 53 says this. Now this is hundreds of years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. This is the prophet Isaiah. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the full chastisement that actually brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. This is hundreds of years before. This one would receive the full chastisement of God. He'd receive all wrath that would be poured out and it'd be done for a purpose. So my first point is simply, he was forsaken and it was done for us. He was forsaken, why? What's the purpose of what's going on here? He was forsaken, he's undergoing what he's going through, everything that we just heard, why? Well, he's forsaken so that you might be forgiven. Now, forgiveness, forgiveness. Let's just think on that for a second. If there's forgiveness, there's got to be something wrong. And see, the, the problem of evil in this world is something that the world has been trying to deal with for thousands of years. There's a problem of trying to figure out why there's so much problems, why, why there's so much brokenness and death and decay and wars. and what's go, how, did, how did that start? How does that get taken care of? How do we deal with it? And there's lots of different ways the world has come up with to kind of think about and try to manage evil. Um. 
in the West, we kind of lean into oftentimes what gets presented to us, two different ideas. One is something like, well, evil's not that bad. Either you kind of go down these two paths. As I was thinking about it, I feel like you got to kind of go down these two paths. Either evil's not that bad so that we might be able to get all of us together and figure out a way to get to some kind of utopia or something like that. Now, that was really the, 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 the tracking of philosophy pre-World War I and pre-World War II. And then those two wars kind of knocked that one out of, you know, ooh, this could be rough. But it's amazing, even hearing people talk, you know, with Ukraine and such. And I hear people say things like, what? Come on, haven't we advanced further? Like, we shouldn't have to be dealing with these things right now, right? Why are we dealing with wars? Can't everybody just get along? See, that's kind of this worldview where evil's maybe not that bad, and maybe it's not so in us that maybe if we got enough of us thinking rightly, we could come to some some kind of peace or some kind of uh, figuring it out. So you either got to think, Evil's not that bad, or you have to come to this idea where where life is in comparisons, so that at least I'm not as bad as you. You got to manage evil. And so I think this is probably the predominant one, quite honestly, in our culture. Yeah, I make some mistakes. Yeah, I fall short once in a while. But at least I'm not like that. And we, and we allow ourselves to kind of watch the news just enough so that we realize, at least I won't ever be like those people. And, and then there's other ways in which the world has tried to manage or deal with evil. Well, what's the biblical idea of evil? What's the, the biblical way in which we... we, we, we we deal with evil in the way in which God deals with evil. Now, I'll be the first to admit, it's, it's not that there's an answer to you know, how evil begins, and oftentimes just um, leaving that be is probably better than trying to you know, work your way to, to answering that question. And yet I would say this, evil from a biblical worldview does get dealt with. Where do you think it gets dealt with? See, evil gets dealt with at the cross. That's where evil gets dealt with. The brokenness of this world, the sin that is in us, the evil in us that would allow us to do the most atrocious things or think the most atrocious things. All of that the brokenness, the death, the decay, the, all of it. You know, sin gets dealt with at the cross. Jesus pulls that all to himself. John, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he says, look, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away, or you could even translate that as something like, who carries the sin of the world. See, Jesus has all of 
sin on himself. And now the full wrath and chastisement of God, the punishment of that, the, the payment of that, the redemption of that, the, the getting rid of that, the sucking that up into a black hole, the, all of that gets, is being poured out on Jesus at the cross. That's what's happening at the cross. So that Jesus is being forsaken, so that you and me can be, we can be forgiven. Forgiveness happens at the cross. This is when Jesus says, it is finished. We actually believe that to be true. Jesus is finishing it. He's, he's accomplishing for us salvation. He's accomplishing for us um, all that is needed for you and me to be forgiven of all of our sin. He's forsaken, you're forgiven. Whoa, that's cool. That's how, we, that's how the biblical worldview deals with evil. It gets dealt with at the cross. You don't pay for it. You don't deal with it. Jesus deals with it. The Son of God deals with it. God deals with it. Jesus is not just a regular dude, just kind of up there dying. Oh, too bad he died. No, no. God is dying for the sins of the whole world to bring you forgiveness. And so you can know tonight with full assurance, not even, oh, I hope so. I hope someday. I hope, you know, something happens. Nope. You can look back to about 2,000 years ago and say, my sins are taken care of. I'm forgiven. So tonight, you can literally walk out of here knowing your sins are forgiven. That's cool. That's cool. Your sins are gone. How do I know? Jesus took them. He was forsaken so that you might be forgiven. Now, I want to go one more step. We could end there, quite honestly. And you should leave here with incredible joy and you should be able to leave processing and thinking about how he had to go through literally hell. And I don't use that flippantly. I choose that. That's what he's dealing with. The, the punishment of sin. He's dealing with hell, literally, so that you and I might be forgiven. And that, that news alone is just worthy of let's go get some ice cream at Culver's after Good Friday service. You know what I mean? I don't know, babe. Maybe we get some ice cream. But there's one other little piece that I just wanted to put into tonight. He's forsaken. You're forgiven. So that, and this is my kind of third and final point, so that we can experience the love and joy of the Father. I just want to, I want to just think on that a little bit. So that we can experience the love and joy of the Father. If you go to John chapter 17, I get it, I'm going out of Matthew here. I'm going to the Gospel of John. Jesus prays 
Jesus prays, and in this prayer, he says something like this. I in them, he's praying. Jesus is talking to the Father here. I in them and you in me, Father, that they may become perfectly one. He's praying for us at this time. They may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You'll hear, if you come back here on Sunday for Easter, you'll hear Jesus, as he rises from the dead, you'll hear him say to the the ladies, he says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and I'll meet them there. Isn't that cool? Calls his disciples brothers. Jesus' work and activity that's bringing us into his family so that we might experience the love of the Father. How much? How much will he love us? Like he loves his only son, Jesus, who was the Father, the Son, and the Spirit from all of eternity in perfect love and in perfect joy and sharing that with each other, one God for all of eternity. We can't wrap our heads around that, but how much will God love us just like that? He'll love us like children, his children. And it's all because of the work of Jesus on the cross. This is why the cross is such a big deal. This is why, I mean, again, I'm not saying this is, you can't do this or something like that. I'm just saying this is why things like the manger get taken down, you know, all year round, but we kind of keep the cross up all year. I'm not, you can keep the manger up too if you wanted to. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? The cross is a big deal. There's cosmic things taking place here. I want to show you Numbers chapter 6. Now that's going back a ways. Thousands of years before. Thousands of years before. God is talking to Moses. And he says to Moses, I want you to tell Aaron, who's the priest, I want you to tell Aaron to bless the people. And how does he say to bless them? He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord uh, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And that word countenance is like, uh, it's like uh, the, the corners of your mouth turning up. It's smile. You'll hear me often in our blessing say that. The Lord smile upon you. See, that finds its fulfillment in Jesus' work on the cross. The Father looking upon us now, not our sin, not our brokenness, but through Jesus smiling upon us. Looking upon you with joy. See, oftentimes the church has kind of turned it always into a legalistic, your sins are forgiven, the judge kind of does his thing. That's fine, that's nothing wrong with that. That's important. Romans talks a lot about that. Paul talks a lot about that. But there's also with forgiveness, the joy of the Father looking upon you, smiling at you. Now, you're going to be like, what the heck are you doing? But I'm going to take us to Zephaniah. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. 
The Lord your God is in your midst. This is a couple hundred years before Jesus shows up. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice, God, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Wow. What a picture. So you're forgiven. But he also now looks upon us with incredible joy. He smiles upon us. He looks at us with favor. All because Jesus was forsaken. All because of Jesus' death on the cross. That's the point of the cross. That the Father would look upon you with incredible joy. Forgiven. Evil dealt with. That's incredible. You know, I think of the discipline of a, of a child or something. You know, have you, when you were disciplined by your parents, and you received that discipline, isn't it true that you always, you're hoping to kind of get past that part as fast as you could to get back to the cuddling and the holding each other and the smiling and the jo- joking and joshing? You know what I'm saying? We didn't even have to take the punishment. Jesus takes the punishment so that we can be um, cuddling up with the Father again. Him smiling upon us. I love you. I'm I'm so glad to see you. I love being with you. You're my child. I care about you so much. I care about every little need so that even when you pray something like our Father, you know what? Talk to me like, say things like, um, give us today our daily bread, Father. Say that to me. Say things to me like, like, um, you know, just, ah, God, I love you. Just, ah. And all of that is a reality because of Jesus' work on the cross. The Son of God, God Himself dying for you and for me. God forsaken, you are forgiven. And we now can experience the love and the joy of the Father. That's yours tonight because of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, wow, it's truly incredible what you have done for us. We can't wrap our minds around it fully and completely, but we believe, we trust that you have brought us forgiveness because of your work on the cross. We can't do anything to get out of our sin. We can't do anything to clean up our lives enough to make ourselves look good enough for you. Even our, even our good deeds are like filthy rags. I mean, all, we needed you, Jesus. And that is why we look to you as, like Ralph talked about last week, as our King, as our Lord. As we look tonight to you dying on the cross, we're reminded you are our Savior. You actually saved us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And then, God, that you would look upon us with joy and that you would look upon us with favor and that you would look upon us with, with a smile. Man, if there's one thing that I, I think would um, 
That is, I think about one thing that would just eternally make me be at peace completely. When I think about that, I think the only way is to have you looking at me smiling and saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the only thing. And one day, Lord, we'll get to hear that and fully experience that because of Jesus. But God, help us to see that because of Jesus, we get to experience that even today. Your incredible joy for us, your love for us, and that you've forgiven us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.